blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's Omission Tuesday. The game has been rewatched a couple of times. I have some additional notes. We're going to get to the snap counts, the advanced metrics takeaways. We're going to punt on the Scanning the Soch segment this week. We're going to hear from Coach Flores, some sideline audio from A.J. Ross at the Dolphins game against the Bengals on Sunday. Plus, we'll play another clip from the postgame show on WQAM with me, Seth, and O.J. McDuffie. All of that and a whole bunch more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins So we heard from head coach Brian Flores on Monday, and we're going to get to that here in just one moment. But before we even get started on the podcast, coach did say in that media availability that there would be some cuts on Monday. All right, we're going to get into the omissions for the tape, the rewatch, and I have more than a few on that rewatch. But I wanted to start with a player that was in our takeaways on the recap podcast on Sunday night slash Monday morning. And we did some extensive film talk on him in rookie Jalen Phillips. And Coach kind of confirmed for us what I said on the podcast about his work in that game. Here's Coach talking about Jalen Phillips, his usage, and the general usage for players in this Dolphins defense. Um, well, the, the, uh, you know, the way we structure the defense, um, you know, it's not a 4-3 where there's just full-time defensive ends on the field at, at all times. So uh, we have a little bit more of a hybrid scheme where we could be up, we could be down, it could be, we could be four down, but uh, it could be, you know, base, it could be, we could be in a few different um, fronts. So uh, I think that we've, we feel like J- Jalen can do a few different things. I think uh, maybe some different things in early downs and some different things in some obvious passing situations. Uh, and, you know, we wanted to just see him in those roles yesterday. Um, I think that's, the goal for him is to play, you know, a few different positions. But you know, right now we're just kind of checking, checking to see, you know, where he's comfortable, and then um, as the staff, we'll talk about it and kind of review things and see what we want to use him uh, during the regular season. Getting players up to speed and the full complement of their skill set and the full ask of this defense, working on every element and trying to find out just how versatile these guys are and how they can be. And a quick aside to that, I just love that first sentence. I guess the the first couple of sentences, the way we structure the defense, it's not a 4-3 where there's just full-time defensive ends on the field at all times. We have a little bit more of a hybrid scheme where he could be up, he could be down. It could be four down, it could be base, it could be a few different fronts. So some good insight there once again from Coach as he is wont to do here in these media availabilities talking about football. And then something else we talked about and really did an entire segment on this on the post-game show with Seth and OJ on the 560 WQAM post-game show, the Dolphins' fifth quarter post-game show after every single Miami Dolphins game, about how this is a tougher roster to make than it was a year ago. And certainly 
two years ago in Brian Flores' first season here. And Coach really communicated that with us this year. He touched on tough cuts they're going to have to make, how there are guys on this team that might not make the 53, but will go somewhere else and catch on somewhere else. But he also talked about the value that this camp and that competition that this team had in all those position groups, how it made this football team better at the end of the day. We've had a very competitive group uh, at all positions. I think, um, you know, the players you're, you mentioned, the guys who um, you know, we may have to move on from, I think, uh, you know, in a lot of instances, you know, just in our conversations this morning, uh, you know, they've made our team better because they've pushed some of the guys uh, that we're going to keep. Um, you know, Steve kind of mentioned this. I think that's, you know, probably some of the things that we're seeing is, you know, there's been a lot of good competition and that's pushed guys and um, helped some other guys play a little bit better. Um, so we're, uh, you know, those guys, you know, I think they're, they're, like I said, there's going to be some guys who we feel like are, are, are roster players in this league and um, we have to, you know, move on from them. But I think they certainly helped our team this training camp. It's nice to have, whether it's, you know, 55, 60, 65 guys that you feel like might have a chance to be, like Coach mentioned, they're rosterable players. And I'm just putting, you know, potential fictional numbers out there. I don't know what that number actually is, but just thinking about the tough decisions they have to make at so many position groups, you could probably argue that the, you know, three or four or five position groups have tough, tough calls at each of those spots. And I also loved Coach saying that, in this press conference that he's honest with guys in those conversations. You're going to have several tough conversations, 27 in total with guys you're going to cut. You'll bring, you know, 16 of them back or hope to get 16 of them back on the practice squad. But I like the way he just said, it's about transparency and honesty. Tell them the truth, tell the player why we didn't think it worked out things they can improve on, but also if he thinks they have a good chance to catch on somewhere else. So that transparency, I think, and you know, we've heard so many accounts of people that just, Love playing for Brian Flores, and that right there has to be a big part of it. All right, that's it for the media on this Tuesday podcast. I want to get into the omissions for the podcast, recapping the final preseason game. That's right. The next time we do this, it'll be a game that counts in the win-loss column. Reed sure was the story in that game, wasn't he? But I thought that was cool to hear him talk about his role in the Dolphins' quarterback room and all the throws he's seen Tua make that he wouldn't even dare try to make out there on the practice field. And I tweeted before Reed came in against the Bears in that preseason opener, and I that I think fans are going to have fun watching him play and boy, did they get that chance to see that in Cincinnati where he was extending plays, rolling away from pressure, setting up in the face of pressure and throwing the football, knowing that he's going to take that big shot. What a game. Again, most passing yards, 343 by any player in the preseason since at least 2017. As for the main takeaway on my rewatch, because Reed was so in your face with the performance he put out there against the Bengals, it was the offensive line for me. And there were several guys that got in the notes here, but as a whole, as a collective, just the push they got up front from some of those guys, and especially on double teams, which has been really the case of the preseason so far with some whether it's Robert Hunt and Liam Eichenberg or Austin Jackson and Solomon Kinley or Greg Little and Durval Kiraz Neto, whatever the case was, you see these guys getting that hip-to-hip, shoulder-to-shoulder, foot-to-foot, and driving guys off the football. But we start here with Solomon Kinley because I tweeted about this in the on the Monday rewatch during my rewatch that I thought that he showed 
not just the power and poise and chippiness that you love from Solomon Kinley. Like when he gets a rep where he doesn't have a a body to work on, a, a player to, to pass protect on, he'll go find work and he'll go put a big hit on a guy. And you always see him play through the echo of the whistle in a way that can kind of frustrate guys. And I think that's a really that's a really valuable asset to have on your offensive line. One of those kind of nasty, mean guys that gets under guys' skin. And I think that could be Solomon Kinley, even though he's such a sweetheart and a fan favorite as far as when he does his great post-game press conferences and the like. He's kind of kind of chippy out there on the field, and I think you need that on the offensive line. Because there was one clip where he came off of his responsibility because nobody rushed, his guy backed out, and he wouldn't put a chip on the left tackles, man, and decleated him. And that was awesome to see. But then later on, he has a rep where the Bengals kind of fake this game up front, fake a slant, and he works inside. And the player that kind of fakes that slant inside goes back around the outside towards the left tackle. And you see Solomon stay engaged and keep those feet chopping and kind of race to the spot to get himself in position to stay square because your shoulder pads got to stay over your feet. Otherwise, you're going to be in tough shape. And watching Solomon at that size get that accomplished, that's a really positive sign going forward for the big fish. Another guy I was very impressed with was Robert Jones. In fact, probably even my, maybe even the most impressive offensive lineman in this game for my money, the push he got consistently, getting guys out of their gap and creating space, cut blocking some guys and making those blocks happen effectively, getting up to the second level where you catch that first level, climb to the second level and take out a linebacker. On the Hunter long drop, he chipped a a slant from the offensive lineman coming in and then picked up a looper coming around the inside and put that guy on the ground and then kind of stood over the top of him like you would do in the game Halo, for instance, when you get that big kill and you kind of show off about it. I thought that was a really cool a really cool look there from Robert Jones after a really solid day. And of course, I talked about it on the Sunday podcast, but he had a play out in space on a screen where he got out there and tossed somebody out of the club. So Robert Jones, the undrafted rookie out of Middle Tennessee State, man, I thought he had himself a heck of a ball game. And so did Derval Quieras Neto. He and Greg Little did so much work in the run game to push guys off the football. We'll talk about the stats running the football off the left side. Plenty of that coming behind Durval and Greg Little. But he had a great pin and seal in the second quarter on a 14-yard run from Jared Dokes where he got to the tackle or the defensive end, I should say, got outside that outside shoulder and pinned him inside. And speaking of Greg Little, he got part of that double team as well and then climbed up to a linebacker and wiped him out to give Dokes some space for that 14-yard run. But I wrote down in my notes that he has a really good-looking kick slide where he covers a bunch of ground and gets himself square and comes to balance before that contact arrives of that rusher. And that's only going to help him hold the point against bull rushes or redirects or counter moves back inside. thought you saw plenty of that in this game. And then just the push in the running game, like I mentioned, where he was wiping out that edge consistently. He had several good blocks to spring some runs. And then Adam Pankey, just a veteran pro player, in my opinion here. A patient set in pass protection can get in the right position to just get in front of guys and make sure they don't get to the quarterback. And he continues to get good push in the run game too. He was one of the guys that would come off the bench in heavy personnel last year and come into the game six, seven offensive linemen and get push in those short yardage or goal line situations. Cameron Tom and Matt Skura, I thought the center position was good all day long. Coach Flores talked about it. Skura started off the game and played strong and went and then gave way to Cameron Tom, who I thought did well as well with plenty of push. And some of those seal blocks where they just get that butt around, get it into the gap and fill and seal that guy off and create space that way. Larnell Coleman had some struggling moments early on in the game, but I thought he had a really nice seal block on what I thought was going to be a touchdown run on that 
first possession by Patrick Laird, where he creates a path outside, and there was no defender out there, but Patrick Laird jammed it back inside, but I thought that was good to see there from Larnell Coleman. Defensively, Nick Needham, I mean, we'll talk about this in the snap count portion, but he played a lot of ball and just continues to just show what he's all about. Relentlessness, toughness, perseverance. The guy just embodies a lot of the things that Brian Flores and Chris Greer look for here in a Miami Dolphin. And you saw that on the second play of the game, the Jamar Chase screen that went incomplete. He fought around that block and got his helmet onto the football or hand on the football, helmet onto the chest there. Just continues to find ways to get in the right position to make plays. And then later in the game, there's a rep. It's a third down incompletion going into the end zone for the Bengals or going into the red zone, I should say. And I talked a lot about his feet and his the smoothness of his transition from the back pedal to driving out of that back pedal in the run-up to the, to the draft after he was a UDFA for this Dolphins team back in 2019. And the feet continue to look impressive to me. On this particular rep, he's got inside leverage, so you're trying to wall off the inside. And once the receiver tries to cross face and go back inside on an in-cut, he flips those hips, and they just look so fluid, as Mike Mayock would call them, the oily hips back in his days at the NFL Network as the lead draft analyst there. Oily hips and smooth feet. And on... That play in the second half where uh, Taylor got the deflection, Needham drove beautifully. Uh, Trent Taylor got the deflection reception for that big gain. Nick Needham drove beautifully on that slant for the breakup, and normally you count that, but a fluke play where it bounces right into another man's hands for a long reception there for the Bengals. So Nick Needham continues to just show you what he's all about. And then I, I put down Sam McGuavin, same thing on the ability to fight through a screen. First play of the game did it where he got around the block and made a play, and he was just a force throughout the course of this game and has been all preseason long. I will say on the Bengals side, Fred Johnson for the Bengals, man, he put in some work. My goodness, he had himself one hell of a game. Some other Dolphins players on here, Jonathan Ledbetter, just wrote down that he continues to get off blocks really well. I think he has the strong lockout where he can kind of get under a guy's pads, jack them back up and get that push back and then come off the block as well. Saw that at Georgia, saw that his rookie season, seeing some of that here now in 2021. Benito Jones got some good push, particularly on a third and two conversion of the Bengals, a running play that converted where he kind of stood his guy up and knocked him back into the backfield. Couldn't quite get off of the tackle right at the line, but good work there from Benito Jones. And then John Jenkins, I mean, story oldest time with his push he gets in the running game. Saw him do some stuff as well as a pass rusher when one-on-one, and we saw the heavy hands where he's able to kind of strike a guy with a cross punch and lock them out and get them on their skates. You can get that kind of pressure up the interior. Man, it's going to open up some opportunities for guys off the outside, and that's kind of where we go here in this next part of the segment. Duke Riley had a great fill in a run play where he shot the gap and got a stop right at the line. In fact, it was his lone run stop of the day. But the focus that I wanted to put on there was how I think this defense we've seen so far in the preseason really gives this linebacker opportunity a chance to feast and make some plays because there's so many big guys they can put up front that can play multiple roles. So when you have, I've talked about it so many times, Davis, Sealer, Wilkins, and Butler can play anywhere from the zero tech out to the five tech. And so many of these fronts, you can put them up in like a bare front where you go zero tech and then a pair of two techniques. And what that means is a man head up over the center and then two defensive linemen head up over either guard. 
and those guys are capable of stacking up bodies and taking on double teams at the point of attack, and it can free up so many gaps and lanes for your outside linebackers and your inside linebackers. And again, those four guys I mentioned, they can all do it. John Jenkins does it as well, and we saw a lot of that in the second half lineup, I thought, with John Jenkins, Jonathan Ledbetter, and Benito Jones, three guys that can play multiple roles. And it goes back to a bit of what Brian Flores said about varied fronts and multiple fronts this defense can run. And then finally, last note here, towards the end of the game, I thought Noah Igbenogany had a really, really good drive there towards the end, especially on the final play of the game and pass coverage on the game-ending pass breakup he had. And then earlier, he had a pass breakup on that same series, and the broadcast got on him for not intercepting the pass, but I couldn't disagree with that more. I thought he made a great play to drive and get his hand in there for a big-time PBU. So that was the rewatch. Let's go ahead now and get to our snap count takeaways and deep dive on the analytics, the PFF numbers, and start there with the latter. First offensive line play, I like to look at how many pressures were given up. Dolphins allowed just 10 as a team uh, collectively in this game. Larnell Coleman, five. Robert Jones, three. Durval Kidas Neto, two. And that was it. None for Solomon Kinley, Adam Pankey, Cameron Tom, Matt Skura, and Greg Little. So some really good work, again, by the guys up front. 10 pressures for a whole football game with 65 snaps. That's a good place to be. Now, rushing direction stats, again, kind of coincides with what we talked about in the observations from the rewatch on that second run back through of the game. Dolphins offensive line had three runs off left tackle or left end, and that was primarily off the Greg Little left tackle position or portion of the game, I should say. And those three runs went for 29 yards. We mentioned Little and the game that he had. No pressure and that running statistic. Pretty solid day for the new Miami Dolphin at left tackle. And then... The middle right gap, which is what they're calling it here on PFF, the A gap off the center's right side. Robert Jones was the primary culprit, actually the only guy that played right guard all game. Four carries, 16 yards, and a touchdown off that gap. And that touchdown was, of course, from Jared Dokes, who averaged 2.44 yards after initial contact to lead the team. He also had two 10-plus yard runs, and four of his 16 runs were for either first downs or touchdowns. We've talked about Reed Sinnott's day a lot in this podcast. When he was blitzed, 4 for 4, 53 passing yards. Under pressure, 6 for 11, 113 yards, and a touchdown, no picks. He also averaged, again, back to the offensive line, 2.76 seconds to throw. Pretty good, especially when you have an average depth of target of 10.4 yards for Reed Sinnott. He was also 3 of 5 for 104 passing yards and two touchdowns on passes thrown 20 or more yards down the field. So the vertical attack was clicking on all cylinders for this Miami Dolphins offense. He was 5 of 6 for 95 yards in the intermediate portion between 11 and 20 yards as well. So a big day there for Reed Sinnett. His pass catchers, Kirk Merritt produced 72 yards on five targets and averaged 10.7 yak yards per reception. And Malcolm Perry had 6.8 average yards after catch on his four catches and produced 69 yards on those five targets. Defensively, four players had two pressures each. They were Jalen Phillips, Jonathan Ledbetter, Calvin Munson, and Brennan Scarlett. Scarlett, both of his pressures were QB hits, and Phillips had the other quarterback hit of that group, and the fourth came from Duke Riley. Now, Ledbetter, in addition to his two pressures, also had two run stops, and Munson, in addition to his two pressures, had three run stops. Tyson Render and Jamal Perry, the safety, tied Munson with three run stops, 
for the team lead. So Jamal Perry getting all kinds of action down around the line of scrimmage, making plays that way like we've grown to know and love from him the last couple of years. Noah Igbenogany allowed just 29 yards on seven pass targets. A great number there for Igbo. And then how about Nick Needham getting targeted just twice on 41 snaps? If you don't get targeted, that's kind of the name of the game. Don't let the quarterback see something he likes. Make him go somewhere else. You do that three or four times in a play, you're going to get yourself a coverage sack. So Nick Needham, another very good game from him. And then finally, Sam Egwavon had another pressure, another run stop, and a handful of tackles in this game as well. And that's what we're going to go ahead and call it on the podcast. But there's more. I want to continue to give you guys more from the postgame show. Here is segment two from the postgame show on 560 WQAM with myself and Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie from the Fish Tank podcast here, part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network. Segment number two from the Sunday night recap show, the postgame show on WQAM. And we come back from this break, OJ. We talked about this a lot throughout the course of the day because we're trying to put together a show here for a third and final preseason game. And this used to be kind of what you would see in the fourth preseason game, right? Where all the starters are in their ball caps and they got the sunflower seeds. We talked about that already, but I was curious to get your take on this because we noticed some guys having some good play, some good moments, some guys having some not so good moments. And I kind of told you about some of these guys having really strong training camps. I wanted to get your take on this about how coaches or even the guys on the, on the, in the locker room on the playing field will kind of weigh what they see in these exhibition games where it's only these four, and now in this case, three days out of the entire month compared to those 20 or maybe even your day, the two days where you have 40 practices in the month of August. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, it's, it's really interesting because you, you never know how a coach um, you know, looks at, evaluate a player. But you do wanna, what you do want to see is you want to see if guys go out there and work hard and practice, but you also want to see if it translates and, and moves into a game situation. And sometimes it doesn't. Some guys, we've seen some guys that don't practice for crap, but then they go out there and they're ballers on game day and vice versa. What you don't want to be is a guy that really has great practices and then when the lights are on, you don't shine like you should. And that, you know, you got to be able to, on game day is more important than anything, obviously. So, I mean, you can show as much as you want uh, of potential in practice, but really, really counts, you know, when it, you know, we got the uniform on with your name on the back of it, you know, and everybody's, you know, there's no more like the defense is wearing aqua and the offense is wearing white. You're on the same color. That's when it really needs to shine, man. So I feel bad for guys sometimes that you see them have great training camps, but then every single time they get an opportunity in the preseason games, they don't shine or they get beat or they drop balls or whatever, man, because, I mean, depressing. <laughs> they are pressing, and, and I get it. It's their livelihood. Their lives are on the line, man. Their dream is on the line. What they grew up as a kid thinking about is on the line, man. So it, it is important to show in practice, but you also have to show that when game day comes and the lights are on, that you can be that same guy. It's the biggest high-stakes business there is, really. I mean, guys, you talked about fighting for jobs, coaches or players or otherwise. It's high-stakes stuff, man. And, you know, Seth, we talked about this a little bit as well, about this, this third preseason game and the Dolphins kind of get here Healthy, health, healthy enough, I think, to head into New England week one. And we got out of it today with not really anything serious, I think, as far as injuries go. But what, what's your take on this as far as how the Dolphins kind of came into this preseason? Because, you know, OJ talks about it. I'm thinking about maybe in his time before the Twitter days, you didn't have the play-by-play <laughs> Travis Wingfield training camp updates. You know, <laughs> you had only the, the three or four preseason games to go off of. But now you've got these daily camp reports, so fans are getting a hold of that. But back to the main point, you know, we saw a lot of teams around the league this week play a lot of their starters and main right. guys in this third game. What did you think of the Dolphins' approach to really get the unload the clip, so to speak, in those first two games and the rest guys here in week number three? 
Yeah, well, you know, going back to what you said and it being a copycat league, it's kind of fascinating to, to see every team did it a little bit differently. And so I think that was a little bit interesting, and it'll, it'll be even more interesting to see how that develops from year to year. But uh, look at me trying to find something interesting here in the preseason. <laughs> you, you know, I don't want to say you brought I'll me all you. the way I'll over to the dark side, Travis. <laughs> but, you know, look, I, and Juice was saying this after last game. I've seen enough of him. I've seen enough of him. Get him out of there. And, and I, I like what Coach did. And, and it was fun to see some of these younger guys – it really is, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. It's going to be hard to make this team. It's a hard, this is a harder roster to make than it's been in a few years. And, uh, and so it was fun to see some of these guys get some extra work. There were some guys that we wanted to see and maybe some guys that we didn't see enough of. But I, I agree with the approach, not that Coach Flores cares if I agree or not. <laughs> but, you know, why risk it? Especially there are some starters that have been banged up throughout camp. And, and I like that we have this extra time between the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season, it's a little bit different than what we're accustomed to. And let these guys get healthy for when it matters most. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and the little things, you know, it takes, honestly, you get banged up early in the season or, or, or late in camp, it is a tough deal trying to get, get back to health, you know, because you really need time. And there is no time in the NFL. There's no, you know, 30-day or 60-day DL like right. you get in baseball or, you know, the 10-day you get maybe in basketball because they have 82 or 180, you know, 182 games. When there's only 16 or 17 games this year, yep. every single week is so critical. So if you get nicked early, man, it's a monster to deal with all year long. And nobody wants to be in the training room all all year long in the training room. Not anybody who's going to make the team. That's morning, sure. afternoon, evening. I remember when I got hurt late in my career, they were coming to my house for a fourth treatment. <laughs> you had the you night treatments? I mean? Yeah, I had the night treatments, man. So I'm like, damn. So, yeah, getting banged up right now. And you said it best, Seth. What's best for these guys now was the amount of time they're going to have between that opening game. And some of the little injuries, Travis, are going to be able to get taken care of or at least minimized as much as possible because they'll have so much time to get that work in. Now, you take the on the on-call house call treatment nowadays wouldn't you oh i definitely would man uh, <laughs> they're not sending it out though no 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 they're not they're not coming knocking anyone's <laughs> door these days anyway but you know I, I wanted to look at something here because around the league we talked about this a little bit before coming on the air that a couple of prominent running backs went down this preseason and they're going to be lost for the entire year and these young guys too jk dobbins just yesterday lost for the entire season travis Etienne, the first round draft pick of the jaguars he's gone and then cam Akers from the rams we see them replace him with a a new running back they traded for and Sony Michelle from the Patriots. So I think it's a good thing the Dolphins were able to get to this point, get their guys valuable work. It seemed like that rep count number, the magic number was about 70, 80 reps for some of these guys. I mean, we saw the first team offensive line play a good chunk of, of the preseason. And, you know, Seth, I think you talked about this in the previous segment. Penalties were low and the Dolphins right. yardage domination for every all of these games. And And, you know, we talked about this as well with how the Dolphins' threes started the game against the Bengals' ones, and I think they're twos on defense in this game. But Miami held their own against those guys. And so when they played Atlanta with our ones and their twos and threes, it was a rough shot, you know, run up and down the field. Indeed. But they, they showed up today, didn't they? They really did. It was impressive to see. And, and look, some guys were saying our third team, but there's, there's some decent players that were out there playing or some young guys that we have high expectations for. And uh, it, it was great to see. It was great to see the want to, and it was great to see, like you said, that they could hold up against guys who, who are going to have jobs. They're, you know, they, they're not just playing against other guys that, that may not be playing in the NFL this season. So it was really great to see. And I love that you talked about the penalties or lack thereof. 
And it just, you know, and Juice mentioned it too. That it, this is a Brian Flores coach team. Yep. I mean, this is something that's important to him. He does not like to give up. It's hard enough to stop offenses in this league, or, or, or you know, to, for your defense to to do the things that they need to do. But when you give up yards, when you give up yards, and and you're just giving them away because you're not disciplined, I, I imagine that's got to be a tough pill to swallow for this coaching staff. And they don't have to swallow it too often. So it's really impressive that it doesn't matter who's out there that they that they understand those fundamentals, Juice, and that they stay disciplined. Cumulatively, in three games for the Dolphins this preseason, 11 penalties, less than 100 yards of yeah. penalty yards. So it's insane. It, it, with with 90 guys, 80 guys in the roster, you think you'd have more procedural penalties yeah. or just things things that you got to iron out. Communication kinks. I tweeted about this at practice the other day. They had a snap that the Dolphins lined up and put the crowd noise on for the first rep of practice, and the the snap went flying over to his head. And I tweeted about it, and fans were telling me, oh, terrible sign. I said, no, that's not a terrible sign. Get it out right now. Let's, right. let's do it right now, right? Juice, like, this is a time of the year where you kind of iron some of these things out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I remember when, when Coach Flo first got here, I remember that wall, the TNT yep. wall that takes no talent. That's one of those things that takes no talent to stay on side, you know, know the snap count, you know, um, you know, just things like that, the little penalties that, that kill you, put you behind the sticks. But, yeah, you're right, man. Crowd noise is, is – I used to love the crowd noise part of everything, man. That was so much fun to even, you know, see what they were pumping in. It made no sense. It didn't sound like any crowd I ever played against <laughs> or played at, you know. But at the same time, though, you know, when you're looking at going on the road for that first game and it's going to be loud, especially in the third down or tough, tough down situations, get that out of the way is right. Get all that stuff out of the way and work it. You're not going to just show up on Sunday and be able to handle that sort of thing. So get it out of the way and practice right now. Um, no matter how many veterans you have or guys that have done it before, you know you still have to work all those different situations. I'm, I'm starting to help coach like a high school football team right now, and I'm amazed at how little they do in terms of those little things. But I said, look, I watched the pros practice. They do so many of the little things over and over and over again so it's like second nature. And I said, at this level, we have to do it in high school for sure. But to see the pros do it and practice that stuff over and over again because it becomes second nature and you don't have to worry about those things moving forward. If you, uh, you're a big body language guy for, for coach and anybody that does press conferences, you like to pick up on that stuff. I had a question for him once. And anytime you ask coach a question for, for me personally, I'm always hoping I get <laughs> that, like, that twinkle in his eye where he realizes that's a good question and it gives me a good answer. What do you think your batting average is on that? I hope, I'm hoping 500. Okay. okay. Half and half would be good. Okay. I feel like I'm about in that range. All but right. this one, we were, we're up in Chicago, and it's a makeshift press room for, for me and a couple other of the beat guys. And I asked him a question about what do you change up on these joint practices? And I could see the look in his eye when I said, what do you change up? And he was like, Travis, we do fundamentals, we do techniques, we do alignment, assignment, we execute. And I was just like, all right, yeah, I, I learned my lesson there from coach. So <laughs> they, like you said, they practice it and they execute it, Seth. Yeah, I, I mean, and it shows. Yeah. It shows in the results. I mean, that, that's really what it is. And if we've seen nothing from Brian Flores in two seasons plus one preseason, it's he is a consistent individual who has he has his process. You know, we hear trust the process, trust the process. I think at this point we have to. You know, he, he's done nothing but improve this team, this roster uh, every year, every day. That's been you know that that's been his mantra, and in all those little things, that's. That could be what one, two, three wins a season, Juice. Yeah. That could be uh, you know a few points a game. All those little pieces matter. Yes, you need to have the best players. Yes, you need to hit the home runs. We talk about it all the time. You know, and the things you need to do to improve the, the the roster. Have a great game plan. But you can't give away yards, points, and ultimately games because you're not fundamentally sound or you're undisciplined. 
And there you have it, our segment from the post-game show on 560 WQAM. I highly encourage all of you out there to go check it out after the game. We're going to be back with you after the Patriots game up in New England. Seth, OJ, and myself from the Fish Tank Podcast. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. Caroline Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingFootNFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. And, of course, do not forget to check out the Fish Tank Podcast, Jeff Darlington, their latest guest. You do not want to miss that. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.